This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am joined by someone I have not talked hoops with this season, and that needed to change, Sean Hyken. Sean, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good. Good to be with you. Um, what are you watching right now, Sean? What have you found yourself watching a lot of? Who have you watched in the last week? Who who in your league pass rankings? Like, How would you do it right now? It's kind of this is kind of an interesting year for that because I've kind of found myself a lot doing a lot less of like, oh, I'm going to watch this team right now or I'm going to watch this game like because there's so many blowouts this year. Everything mm-hmm. is just so chaotic right now that I'll find myself saying, OK, this game uh, looks like it's going to be good. But then, oh, now that game is a 20 point blowout. I'm going to just flip on and watch something else. I kind of find myself bouncing around a lot between a lot of different games as opposed to just kind of focusing on a few teams that i like uh let's see i like the Cavs a lot i think they're interesting i've liked the rockets since the Harden trade and since they got wall back i think they're fun i'm seeing you know how good john wall has looked after the torn achilles i think is is pretty awesome i like uh god who else lamello's fun uh the hornets are just fun in general yeah they're not very good but they're fun miles bridges is awesome uh do you think he gets traded why would he? Well, I mean, he doesn't really like he's not going to be one of their closing five, right? They still start PJ Washington, unless I'm mistaken. Cody Zeller's back. Um, I don't know what their closing group would make sense with Hayward and Lamelo and Terry Rozier, and you still have the Devonte Graham question. But I mean, he's not a. I don't think he's a core piece. I would not say that Miles Bridges in their core plans would be my guess. I think that's interesting. I have not heard about them shopping him or it might be and like i'm not suggesting John- they are I, i'm just saying that that's something when i think about like we forget that these young teams and this is something that the grizzlies are going to have to think about right um guess what bane and this group and tillman they're all fun guess what you can't play them on most of them are going to be gone and they get pricey young guys get expensive and guess what you're not going to have five studs like on your starting roster it's not how development works it's not how the nba works it doesn't it's just not that clean it never works like that you eventually have to make moves and you have to move guys um and it's just not how it works so some of these guys are going to work out some are going to have to get moved some are just going to just go the opposite way uh progress is not linear and sports fans tend to forget that it seems like but um no i don't know i just don't think miles bridges is going to be in their closing five um or they want him in their closing five so at that point you're like what is he around for the long term and my guess would be no well, it's going to depend on how much money he's either going to want or that other teams. It might be kind of a John Collins situation in Atlanta yeah. where he wants a lot of money. He wants maybe more money than they're willing to pay him if they don't see him as one of the core guys. And then they either have to trade him or some team gives him this huge offer sheet when he's a free agent. And then they have to decide whether they want to match it or not. And he's what? He, he's only in year three, right? Yeah, he's 22. Um, yeah, but... So they've got a little time to figure that out. They do, they do. Um, I just when I forecast that team, I just I don't know. I don't think he's probably in there. He's going to be in that group. Um, the Julius Randle situation. When you're the Hornets, when you're the Hornets, though, mm. like they've got like Lamelo's their guy now, but like and they just paid Hayward a lot of money, but like they are they're not the kind of team where I feel like they can afford to just like cut bait on somebody who's as talented as him just because it's not a perfect fit like with like the, the, like they're not a team where i where i look at them and say oh they have so many they have so much talent they have so many more good pieces that you know they can just they can just go ahead and you know like like i don't think i don't think miles bridges is a luxury for them even if he's not in their closing five he does play a role on that team for sure but eventually he's going to want to expand his role he's eventually going to want to do what julius randall is doing in new york like that's Maybe. eventually going to be his 
is what he wants. Maybe. I don't, I don't, John I don't Collins really know wants. him at all. I don't, I, I don't know him at all. I don't really know him. Well, it just seems like those are those kind of players. Like, John Collins thinks that he can dribble and lead the offense and get more possessions. Sir, and J- get... Jeremy Grant, too. That's why yeah. he went to Detroit. And he's he's playing a lot more minutes and scoring a lot more points, and they're one of the worst teams in the league. So. Exactly. That's where Bridges will go. Like, if he wants to continue flourishing in his role as a sixth, seventh guy, energy guy, then yeah, it'll be great for him to stay in Charlotte. But does he eventually want to move on? Because guess what? He was a number 12 overall pick. Like he was still a lottery pick. He still sees that as like, I'm a lottery guy. Um, I don't know. Like the Malik Monk. I don't know what his mindset is. I haven't talked to him at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just extrapolating here, I guess. But that would be my guess with how basketball seems to, to work on this front. Um, how, uh, how many minutes would you guess Miles Bridges plays every night? uh 22 Ooh, very close 24 okay he's playing half the game like he's uh he's just not a core piece he's not someone who's he's not getting 36 minutes he's not uh i don't know he's kind of an odd player to build around anyway like i don't know what do you think he does best what do you think is the best thing about miles bridges dunks yeah you don't build that's not a core piece you don't uh you don't build around dunkers you don't build with dunkers i should say today's nba that uh, seems like a bad idea I'm not yeah, going I mean, for we'll, Derek Jones. We'll, we'll see how. I mean, Derek Jones has been pretty good for. He's for fine, the but he bounced around the league. Like that's you're like, yeah, you're not in our core. You go, go, be good for somebody else. Go be the good eighth or ninth guy for somebody else. But what you need okay? those. You need those guys though. For sure, but I'm saying teams who are bad, who are developing, they don't keep all of them. Like you keep some, and you don't keep others, and you sign veterans to um, assist. The young guys. It's the Hawks thing where it's like, well, yeah, we have our young guys, but we still need some veterans so the young guys can do more. And we just pick our young guys and we'll have to pick some and not others. They'll pick um, Capella as the vet and they'll move on from Collins. Like you can't keep them both long term. Like you can't just have seven youthful guys like the Grizzlies have right now and then just be like, yep, these going to be our seven for the next 10 years. We have our guy who loves his role. Like Bain's going to always do this and Tillman's always going to do that. And Dylan Brooks is always gonna be this and john morant's always gonna be that and jaron jackson's gonna be this it's just not how not how it works man like it's not gonna be this clean like some of them are gonna be gone some are not you're not gonna pay them all you're gonna have to make tough choices you're gonna swap some of them out for veterans because you're gonna get ahead of the head of schedule or you go the opposite way and you actually don't develop the right way and then you're just flooded in uh uh purgatory basketball purgatory that's just that's how i look at it it's very difficult and i always get very nervous when it comes to teams like that am i overselling my concern with the Grizzlies because I go back and forth on this a lot. I think maybe it stems from, uh, I think Kevin O'Connor's YouTube show on the ringers. Is it called the void? I want to say, I, I think so. Okay. Well, he I had that whole thing about much of it. Well, they, it says like he had this whole video, which is pretty solid about like them building their next contender around jaw and why it makes sense. And I'm like, well, they're probably not like building a contender. I think they're building a really good team. Um, but eventually they're going to have to pick some, like they're going to have to do what the nuggets did. The nuggets, are not like Gary Harris. We thought there was an article by friend of the pod, Chris Herring about like, could he be the next Kawhi Leonard? Then he didn't. Now he can't shoot. Now he's just a wing. Um, just a forgotten wing that is not a part of their long-term plans. It doesn't matter anymore. So you look at that and you look at like, Tory Craig, great role player for them last year. Couldn't keep him. Moved on. Jeremy Grant, great role player for them last year. Couldn't keep him. Um, but they have their guys. They do keep Jokic, Murray, Michael Porter. You have your couple that you, you do pinpoint, but you don't keep them all. And the role players are usually the ones who get moved. And Bain will not be a Grizzly five years from now. Tillman won't be a Grizzly seven years from now. It's not how I, I just, I don't think that's how you look at it. And then Dylan Brooks for sure won't be seven years from now. But I, I just, I'm not as high on their potential ceiling as like a contender. Like I think Jaw could be like a top 10 player. Do I think he could be a top five? No. Do I think Jaron Jackson could be a top five? No. Um, so you're not a contender. Contenders so they are might very as well small. just like they might as well just blow it up. And no, that's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. We just don't have to get ridiculous and throw out contenders. Like you're not building a contender. You're building a really good team and a good foundation that can be good in the NBA for ten years. Those are two different I, conversations. I definitely agree that we may people maybe get a little bit ahead of themselves with a, with a lot of because I think the thing that happened ten years ago or whatever with with Oklahoma City when they had Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, where they you know they had that steady climb of yes. One year they're terrible. The next year they make the playoffs and are competitive with the Lakers in the first round. The next year they lose in the conference finals. Then the next year they get to the finals against Miami. I think that it, it we kind of it's very easy then to extrapolate that to just every yes time there's a team that has a few exciting young guys like you know we we did this I, like however many years ago that 
you know, the that Minnesota when after Cat's rookie year, it was like, oh, they have talent. Exactly. We, yeah. Be there. They're going to be the next rising. I I feel like we kind of did that to a degree with uh, with New Orleans too. And they when they got Zion and then they got all the guys that they got in the Anthony Davis trade. It's like oh, whenever whenever there's a team with a lot of young guys that are really good or that look like they could be really good, uh, we just kind of assume that oh, you know. I mean, the thing that you just said about development not being linear, I think, is a good point. And I I was kind of low on Memphis going into this season because. I, I just kind of felt like maybe they overachieved a little bit and played over their head last year just because I don't think anybody was really expecting Jaw to be as good right away as he ended up being. And but I mean, th- the thing is, though, like once you have one guy who's like that dude and the job Moran, I think we can pretty clearly say is that guy. He's like he's that good. Like I think like he's, you know, a, like a perennial all star, like all is NBA he ever first. Level. I mean, do you think he's ever going to reach first team all NBA status? I don't know. Maybe he could. Hmm. I mean, that's where he has to get if you're going to jump into the consider status. It's like he has to get in that conversation. And I could see him getting into that conversation. I think he's good enough to be, you know, in that group. It maybe not right now, but like two or three hey, years from now, yeah. I could see him being that good. But when you have that guy who's like you, you have one guy who's like that dude. It's a lot easier to kind of figure out the rest later if you if you build your team smartly, and that's. You know, it's kind of the difference between, you know, how New Orleans went about building around Anthony Davis. And they saw, you know, they you can kind of see the logic of some of the moves that they were trying to make, but a lot of them didn't pan out. And then that ended up going the way that it went versus, uh, I guess, how, you know, what, you know, going up, you know, into like when Giannis like started winning MVPs, you know, some of the teams that they put around him, I feel like we're a little bit smarter than maybe, you know, what New Orleans did with Anthony Davis. So it's just going to be interesting to see what uh happens and you know going forward with memphis and what they decide to put around jaw the other thing is can jaron jackson ever get healthy that's that's kind of the elephant in the room here because this is going to be the off season when they have to decide what about his rookie extension and i do think that they're going to end up giving him one say you're memphis you do it oh yeah no i think they're going to and i think it's the right gamble to make i think he's good enough that if he can stay healthy that you know he's he is a core piece and he's you know he's a great number two guy on a on a team that could be pretty good but it's just you know is he ever going to be able to stay healthy he's had injuries you know his entire all three years now you know he's he's dealt with stuff so you know it's it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds yeah um did you read the espn piece from a couple days back on the uh nba g league ignite plan yeah, it seems interesting. I like that they're doing that. I I'm fascinated by it. I don't know if it's getting talked about enough, but like the ins and outs and like them putting them in this bubble and making the vets work with the youth and like this was the biggest thing about like I I, I was so curious is that with all the there's a lot of NBA Twitter that really dismisses the college game and hates it and blah 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 and um I enjoy both. I watch both, but um it's just different. And there is something about dominating in college and there's something about dominating in high school and there's something about learning how to just be the be a man among boys with um a lot of guys over the course of a season like kevin durant benefited from being at texas and just being a superstar carmelo benefited from being the guy on a championship team syracuse um it's not for everybody it doesn't mean it's not a precursor to success obviously but um i do wonder about guys like jalen green who seems to be a potential top three pick in the draft this year how it works when you're just pay- playing with a bunch of 30 plus guys and like luca was doing that in Euroleague and um made him better and he he's survived but you just you never have any idea which way this is going to go and you could lose all your confidence you could just get demoralized and the nba g league team like this ignite team could really struggle and green could struggle and um isaiah todd could struggle and deshaun nix can struggle and jonathan kaminga can struggle and then you know and then you're like oh wow, this is, I'm no longer the big man on campus. And I think that is something that I'm so fascinated by seeing is just what they do when they're matched up with grown men who are fighting for their jobs and fighting for future jobs. And I uh, like the Rayshon Tates of the world. And I, I'm just very curious to see how it unfolds. It does seem like they're 
really, really doing everything they can. And I, I like that they're also doing like online school through Arizona State, which is cool um, while they're doing this. But uh, it's a tough life. They're like quarantining. They're all in like one apartment complex type deal where the vets and the rookies are all together and they separate them. They come in together. They have their days completely laid out. The vets go and work out at one point and then the um the kids come in and work out I, I it's a very fascinating development it's just like the img academy in florida for high school for uh uh pros yeah well i think that the the thing i mean i certainly understand what you're saying about like the competition level and maybe you know playing against better players or sooner might destroy their confidence but i think the other thing you have to keep in mind though is when you're you know on one of these g league teams your entire job is to play basketball. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in college, you know, you have to, you know, you have to, I, mean, I know a lot of these guys kind of get, you know, their hands held through these kind of joke classes, but you still have to go through the charade of pretending to be a college student and keep your grades up. And it's, you know, you, you have other obligations, you have all this stuff. When basketball is your only job, A, you're getting paid for it, which, you know, that's, that's, that's a whole other discussion about the college game that, you know, I, that you know that that's that's another thing I can understand why some guys will would choose this G League uh, thing, but also you're gonna have access if you're in if you're in the G League and you're on like the NBA you know in the NBA infrastructure already, you're gonna have access to way better you know nutritionists. You're gonna have access to better trainers. You're gonna have access to kind of all of this medical stuff and just kind of the conditioning stuff, and you're you're gonna have coaches that are you know, gonna you know, like have NBA experience. You're playing against guys that have NBA experience, and I mean, it's it's just going to depend on how each individual guy goes into it. Whether it's you know somebody's like I don't think you go to this G League, the G League Ignite team, and say, oh well, I'm going to this team because I want to dominate and I want to you know win. You, you go to this because you're saying you know this is a long term investment in me getting better and maybe my numbers aren't going to look as impressive playing against professionals as they would look in college. But I think at this point, scouts are smart enough that they can look at players and, you know, watch actually, you know, how they play and not so much focus on, oh, well, did this team win, you know, in the NCAA tournament? And like something a scout actually told me not too long ago is when you're scouting a player, you have to look at, you know, what can this guy bring when, everybody on his team or everybody in the game is better than him because most of these guys you know these these big like high school college guys who are like high recruits or guys who are going to be high draft picks those guys have mostly been the best player on every team they've ever been on and some mm-hmm. and once you get to the nba unless you're like luca or jars or you know one of the like two rookies a year that is actually good right away that's not going to be the case for you mm-hmm. and so you have to you know i almost i almost feel like it's better for these guys to go to these g league situations where they're playing against NBA players and they kind of have to learn even if it's somebody who's going to be a star eventually learn how to be a role player and learn how to you know learn how but to But isn't that a problem with, potentially if you learn how to be a role player at 18 rather than get a high usage and fail like Steph Curry turning the ball over 10 times a game and learning how to just be bad and just working through it in an NBA level versus the G League and just carving out a niche as like a corner 3 guy but then, but if you have the talent, you're going to be able to adapt to it. Maybe, no matter what but you're young, doing. man. 18, the formative years, the 18 to 23, it's like, that's, we know who you are by 23 to 24 in the NBA. Like we, we have an idea once you get that five, six year track record, like this is who this person is. Like those years early on matter. And if you learn to play a certain way and they are Brian Shaw, the coach of the Ignite, he just sees mm-hmm. them differently than how a college coach or just an NBA coach would see them and just throw them to the wolves. Um, I don't know. I it, it seems this is just complicated. I don't think there's a right answer here, Sean. And I think it well, affects everybody differently. This, that's what I'm saying. This thing kind of you know this program I think kind of self selects for people who aren't going into it looking to be like I think the guys that get developed in this program might end up becoming high level role players. But you know what? Most guys that you draft, you you'd be happy if they end up being high level role players. Like there's yeah. only two or th- maybe two or three guys a year who are stars and you know if you're if you're one of these good teams if you're if you're a team like you know the the i don't know who's who's a team that like like if you if you're if you're like you know dallas you already you like you already have luca you don't need another guy to be like the first option you know you you maybe are happier drafting a guy who has had this kind of nba adjacent development system for uh 
you know, already for a whole season and is going to be able to slide in and know his role. Like, I think I think this might be more useful to good teams than to teams that are just taking swings on talent. I think that those teams might end up still kind of drafting more of the one and done college guys. But I definitely think it's good that these guys have these options. It's good. I'm all about more options, and I 100% agree there. I just, I'm curious to see how they are developed. I'm curious to see how they're taught. I'm curious to see if Shaw's like, hey, Green is going to be a lottery guy, so I have to let him go out and fail against these G League guys, and he treats certain guys differently. Does Kamunga get treated differently than Green? Does Green get special treatment? Like, I, I don't know. Like, if you go to a college campus, you get special treatment. If you are in the G League with a bunch of grown men, you're not. And I, some guys will benefit from that others will not um i don't know i think it's very fascinating and i'm curious to see how this all looks um speaking of fascinating things have you seen how often doug mcdermott is cutting to the basket now is this a new development this year am i just did i completely space on doug mcdermott just being an elite crasher because he had 22 points in the paint on uh, the 28th um so this was like last week, but like just seeing that and seeing his stat line and then I had just had to go watch how he played. And then tonight against the Bucks, I'm like, Doug McDermott is uh, interesting. And the McDermott Sabonis connection is just incredible. And he found McDermott a bunch in that game that I'm uh, referring to, but Sabonis is just doing everything, offensive, defensive, rebounding, an elite passer. He's had some zips that are just bonkers. Um, what do you make of the Pacers and what do you make of McDermott and Sabonis specifically? Well, Doug is in the category of, you know, if you will, uh, sneaky athletic. Oh, if you if you will, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm, cover, mm-hmm. I covered him. Uh, I covered him with the uh, with the Bulls his first uh, three years in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was drafted in 14. He was trading. So I like I like he had some dunks in some of those early games where, you know, and he and he and I would always joke about like him entering the dunk contest uh and like, I mean, obviously, you know, he you know he gets out, comes out of the league, or comes out of Creighton, and he's kind of pigeonholed as a shooter, just because you know, white guy went to the same school as Kyle Korver, and so that's kind of thought of as his skill set. But he's definitely like he can he can get up, and you know, so him cutting to the basket, I don't, I obviously I don't have the usage stats in front of me about how much he's you know doing that now. Versus it's high. Before, I'm going to but... go ahead and tell you, it's definitely high. Okay, well, good for him. I mean, he's. I think he's generally been pretty good since he signed in Indy. He's well, like, he has I to think do he a found, lot more now. Well, right, but like he, I think he was also just like he was always like he was in this weird like the Bulls never used him well, and then he was in Oklahoma City for like half a season, and then he signed with the Knicks, or he was traded. No, he was traded to the Knicks. Yeah, and then the Knicks are always terrible, and then he gets traded to Dallas, and then he. Signs it, so he kind of was bounced he really around on Dallas. I don't even remember that. Yeah, at he all. was. He was. He was in the uh, Porzingis trade. Oh my! Or God. no, 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 no. He wasn't in the Porzingis. Was he in the Porzingis trade? He might have been in the Porzingis trade. I know he got traded from New York to Dallas. I don't at remember. One point. Yeah. But uh, but you know the point is he kind of bounced around. A Wait, little was he bit in the? No, he was in the Dennis Smith trade. Or is that Porzingis? Are they all together? Were those separate trades? I don't know. No, no. I think that was this the was same two trade. years ago now. No, those mm. were the same trade. It was the same trade. So yeah, they were all in it together then. Wait, no, 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 no. He was No, he was trade. I I don't that this isn't that's not that's not a point. point is he was uh I just remember oh, he was Doug traded McDermott from New super York. fans are getting so upset. Like I how... like Doug a lot actually. He was one of my favorite guys that I covered because he just like he he was fun to talk to because he never knew what he was or wasn't supposed to say. Like he would always really? just kind of Yeah, he was he was like like what like one time he uh the the his third year the second hoiberg year okay he he was gonna start a game mm-hmm. and fred said at shoot around that he hadn't decided who he was gonna start and then he said it, he said pregame that doug that he had just told Doug like five minutes beforehand that he was gonna start mm-hmm. and then doug in the locker room doug was like yeah yeah fred told me at shoot around <laughs> So just little stuff like that. But then also like, you know, he's he's a guy I would talk to about like just different stuff going on in the locker room. And it was like it was, you know, not like on the record, but he was, you know, he was he was great because he like I think he just like didn't know what he was or wasn't supposed to say. But no, I actually like Doug a lot. He's a good dude. How was Levine? I didn't really overlap with Zach that much. I have I 
Because the year he got there was the year that I left, okay. and he wasn't really around much. Because so who were your final was... guys? Who were the final ones that you were talking to a lot in Chicago? My last full year was the was the three alphas year, the Rondo Wade Butler year. Interesting, which was fun. Uh, God, what a time! That was that was that was fun. Uh, that was that was an experience. Mm. Uh, I had, I liked. Uh, well, like Taj, I think is one of my favorite guys I've ever covered. He's just interesting. I, Why? Because uh, he's just a really good dude. He's like he's just always positive. He's always willing to talk. He's just a he's just a good like some guys are just like some of those role players. Like Ed Davis is like this too, who I had in Portland for a couple of years. Just mm-hmm. just good solid dudes like. I like him. Robin Lopez, I like a lot. Um, I like uh, Bobby Portis. Bobby, Bobby's a funny kid. Uh, I, I shouldn't say kid. He was a kid at the time. He's not a kid now. But Bobby, Bobby, I, I was cool with. I actually am still kind of cool with Bobby. Uh, Interesting. Uh, that, so for Chicago, I think those were kind of yeah. But Doug, but Doug, Doug and I always got along pretty well too. Hmm. What about Hoiberg? Do you miss talking to Hoiberg? Fred's he feels a, nice like a tough interview. He feels like a tough interview. Well, it depends on what you want. If he's he is the most like he is extremely yes like, uh, Vinny Goodwill who co- who covers the NBA for Yahoo now and was on mm. the Bulls beat at the time. Uh, he used to say that calling Fred vanilla is an insult <laughs> to vanilla extract. Because <laughs> I mean Fred is I mean Fred's like Fred's like the nicest dude that you'll ever come across. But he he is like and I don't think he's like trying to be difficult. I think he's he's like the opposite of Doug in terms of like knowing what you can and can't say fred is so cautious about hmm. uh like not offending anybody that he just will not uh you know say anything even mildly controversial and so when you're a beat writer you're not really but but then you know there are times i think later on you know he got better i think about sticking up for himself a little bit when some of the public you know consensus got to be against him one time he didn't like something i wrote and he you know called me and was like upset about it and we talked about it for uh really yeah, a little uh, for I mean th- that's what happens when you're on the beat though. Like that's just, you know, you'll 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 get those calls, you'll get those texts from, you know, the coaches and the GMs and it's just kind of uh, you know, it's something you got to deal with. It's, and that that that's why I just like I'm never going to like you know, when I when I'm like writing when I'm writing stuff or I'm saying stuff on a podcast, I'm never going to publicly call for a coach or a GM to get fired because I feel like if you're going to write or say that kind of stuff, you don't, I, I feel like you shouldn't, you know, write or say anything like that, that you wouldn't say to their face. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, 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 an, I mean, I don't know. Fred, Fred's a good guy. I actually just texted with Fred like a week ago when he, when he announced, okay. he, when he announced, how many he, coaches are you texting with right now? Sean Hyken. Uh, no comment, <laughs> but no, I just I'm saying like because he announced that he got diagnosed, he tested positive for COVID, and so I just sent him a quick text like, "Hey man, sorry to hear that. I get well soon." And he sent me a text back saying, "Thanks." That was the extent of it, but that was just like a week ago. Interesting. Um, you we've touched on the Blazers a little bit. Um, the team that you grew up covering and loving, the biggest Blazers fan I know, Sean Hyken. Uh, I was, I was, I was when I was a fan of a team. Yeah, absolutely. Do you not, you, you, so do you feel nothing when you watch the Blazers? You really don't feel anything? I mean, I like it when they do well because that's good for me professionally, but. Like, is it? It is. Why would, why would it not be? I don't know. I feel like covering a bad team is more interesting than covering a really good team. Mm, depends. Again, it depends on the personalities. It mm. depends on. It depends. It depends on all that. I mean, those some there are some like I like the team that I like. I don't know. I mean, I think I think the thing that I have a little bit of freedom for is like I don't really cover the Blazers on a day to day basis. I just happen to be based here. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really write about the Blazers that much because there's not a lot of national. You know, when you're writing for BR, it's a national outlet. There's just not a lot of national interest in the Blazers unless it's like. Either Dame is, you know, doing something like if, 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 you know, he had that week where he like last season where he scored 50 points, like three games in a row or whatever. Or when they signed Carmelo Anthony after being on the scrap heap for a year, that's like the biggest story in the league for a week. That's that, that's when there's national interest in the Blazers. Generally speaking, I don't really write about them very much. Yeah, that's fair. Um, how are they surviving without Collins, without McCollum, without Nurkic? What when you're watching the Blazers, how are they doing this? Dame, 
Is it really just Dame? Is that it? <laughs> Gary Trent's I mean, playing like 40 minutes a night right now, Gary, and I'm just Gary Trent's, uh, Gary Trent's been pretty good actually. But, he's been okay. Like, it's been a lot. Of, yeah, he's gonna. He's. He, you want to talk about guys who are gonna get paid this summer? He's gonna get paid. Uh, it's but. He, yeah, it's it's it really is just how good Dame is. Like when you when you look at especially you know Robert Covington has you know he's been pretty good defensively, but he has not shot well or certainly as well as he shot last year in uh, Houston. Uh, Derek Jones has been we talked about a little bit before he was good defense. He's been good defensively, but now he's injured. Uh, Ennis Cantor, who's you know his I think he gets kind of a you know uh, he's it, it's easy for him to become a punchline. He's fine. He does what he he does what he's supposed to do. He's a terrible defender, but he'll you know he 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 gets rebounds. He can score around the basket. He's fine. He does his job. But when you're asking him to play a lot of minutes, it's it's not good. It yeah. really is just Dame. Interesting. Um. So, what is Dame doing? Is there anything about Dame's game that's adjusted without those three? Because I mean, we know about the Nurkic and him assisting each other from a, a year ago, and we know how McCollum was playing to start this year, and how they were playing the bubble and stuff. And Zach Collins just unfortunately cannot stay healthy. Um. Is there anything different about Dame this year that you've noticed? No, he's just having another Dame year. This is, it's all just kind of. Uh, I mean, he he had this a little bit last year before the, or not last year, uh, two years ago, the year that they went to the conference finals late in that regular season. CJ missed a few weeks with a knee injury, and mm. Dame was basically doing the same thing, and, and you know kept them in contention and kept them in the. I think they were the three seed that year. Uh, you know, he's he he you know he's just kind of. He's just having another Dame year. He's he's one of those guys. I think he's he's a floor raiser. He's one of those guys where, you know, as as long as you have him and he's healthy, there's only so bad that you can be. Interesting. No matter um, who you've got around him. And th- watching Rodney Hood this year too. He's good. And he tore his Achilles. He's, he's working his way back. He's had some really good games. He has had some games where it seems like he's kind of work. You know, still feeling his way back. But that's a pretty big injury to come back from. So. But that's what I was thinking. Like we mentioned Walt at the top of this show. And we have Durant, we have Wall, we have um, Rodney Hood. I mean, Durant, Durant's been incredible. Durant literally just looks exactly like old Kevin Durant. Right. And it's uh, when do you think we're going to get to the point where it's like we're going to have to start reassessing how we look at Achilles injuries? Well, I and you know if you want to expand this to the WNBA, look at Brianna Stewart missed a whole season with a torn Achilles and then won Finals MVP in the yeah. in the bubble over the summer. I don't want to give too much away, but I may or may not be working on something about Ooh, this right now. So I'm still okay. kind of, I'm still kind of digging into all that stuff. Maybe we'll talk again when, uh, whenever that happens. I you like know? this. I stumbled into but, great minds, Sean. Hyken. But that's, but that's, that's you know that that's that's something that I've been thinking. I think obviously the hook there is that Durant looks like Kevin Durant again, and, and he just looks incredible. But you know, you're starting to see more and more guys that. I mean, even just as recently as like four or five years ago, Wesley Matthews tears his Achilles was never the same guy after that. Yep. Uh, Dwight, this year, Dwight Powell's a guy who just is, looks totally done now after the torn Achilles. Brandon Jennings was never the same after a torn Achilles. Uh, I, I, it's, it's really. I think the only guy I can think of be, before you know in the in the current NBA, like obviously back in the day, like Dominique had had his, and then he was pretty good for a year after that, but. Uh, Rudy Gay, I think, is the one guy mm. that, like, he tore his in Sacramento. He signed with the Spurs, and he was fine. And he's basically been the same player since then. And he's, you know, continued to be a useful rotation player. And he basically hasn't changed his game at all. But it is getting to a point, I think, where, and I, and I think it's just like with anything, like a, a torn ACL. Like, remember back in the 80s, Bernard King tore his ACL, and it basically almost ended his career. Now it's like, a torn ACL is like, you know, like Zach Levine had a torn ACL and he was fine. Like so many more guys like tear their ACLs and then they're, and then they're okay. Yeah. Um, what happened to Davis Bertans? He was like two for 10 the other night. What What is going on with Bertans? Why does he suck? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. It, it could be, you know, it could be like a Nick Batum thing with him where he goes, gets traded from a good team to a bad team and then he has one really good year, gets a big contract, and then he's just like terrible. And I, are we are we maybe talking about in two years or three years or whenever his contract is like about to be up, he gets bought out by the Wizards, and then he goes to like Golden State and is shooting forty five percent from three again, like what Batum is doing with the Clippers. I I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. Just just rough. Um, the Wizards are a pretty rough watch right now, except for Beal. They are a rough watch. Um, I also think it's interesting. Like, the the Beal stuff, did you see somewhat... Who was it who tweeted about, like, 
it's so hard to keep up with everything but like Beal being this is like the happiest he's ever been this season and oh I saw the t- I saw the tweet that was like sources say yes Bradley Beal is even happier this season yes that's than what I'm referring to season. now people scoffed at that like it's horrible and we we see the memes of him like really sad on the sideline and like just losing his mind which, by the way, he knows that that's going to be a thing. One hundred percent. Whenever he's like sitting on the bench, yes. he knows that he's performative. going to be on him. It's uh, it's it's a hundred percent a put on. Like he's he's kind of he, like he's not doing the you know the James Harden or Anthony Davis of like outright like saying oh get me out of here. But like on the court, he knows yeah. that he's going to get made into a meme. So he's kind of just you know he, he's he's not he's not preventing that from happening. Yes, um, I will also say when people scoff at that, like this is why you have to look at athletes individually, and there is. I guarantee you some athletes who look at the situation that Beal's in, the way they think is like, hey, this is awesome. This is like the best situation possible because guess what? Everybody feels sorry for him. Everybody's like, we got to save Bradley Beal. Look at how awesome Bradley Beal is. This helps Bradley Beal. He leads the NBA in points per game still, right? Like this is- I think so. This helps him. Him being on a bad team this year helps the legacy of Bradley Beal. It helps his image. It, everything about Bradley- Assuming Brad- that he ends up on a good team eventually- Right, but like it, he doesn't have to rush it. So like them no. saying like I when people were dunking on that, I was like, honestly, my first thought was like that wouldn't surprise me. I that uh, that would not be an, a crazy thing for me to think that he's enjoying just being the guy that everybody feels sorry for, and that he gets to go off and play, uh, put up insane numbers on a bad team. And well, the thing the thing you also have to keep in mind is I don't think he wants to get traded right now. Mm. Because the logistics of getting traded during a pandemic and having to change teams mid-season just seems like I know obviously Harden did it and like that 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 trade happened, but that just seems like it's a nightmare even more so than having to move during a season normally is. That's why I think we've a lot of these teams where you would think that they would have like you would think that the Wizards would have fired Scott Brooks by now, you would think that the Timberwolves would have fired Ryan Saunders right by now, like. I don't think we're going to see a lot of in-season trades, and I don't think we're going to see a lot of in-season coach firings just because the pandemic is just making all that stuff harder from a logistical standpoint. The Saunders stuff is atrocious. I watched the Wolves-Hawks game from like a week and a half ago. That's the worst coach team in the basketball. Like, make all the jokes you want about Scotty Brooks, but like, good Scott God. Brooks is fine. He's, yeah, he's you know, fine. He's, he's, he's a Ryan Saunders is a bad NBA coach. coach. Like, he's just a bad NBA coach. Um, they, they are discombobulated. They're a mess. Like, that is a mess. Um, that it's just, I don't even know how you get out of it in Minnesota. Um, there was something else I was going to mention about, uh, Washington and I just completely, I completely forgot about what it was going to be now. Um, Kelly Oubre. Crumbling uh, under the pressure of Joe Lacob's luxury tax. Whatever, or whatever minus, it was that he was asked about. Oh my God. Um, important questions, Sean Heiken. Um, minus 25 last night. Um, there's something to like him being the one guy and now that Kevon Looney's missing time, which is not good for the Warriors. But like, what do you make of Kelly Oubre this season? Cause it seems like they're on national television every night for some reason, but, um, well, what do you mean for some reason? They still have Steph Curry. Like they do have Steph Curry, but it's just too much. They're not a good watch. The Warriors outside of Steph and I love Steph, but uh, they can get beat. They're a tough watch. They are a tough watch, but, you know, they the NBA wants to promote, you know, when people see Steph Curry's going to be on TV, they're going to they're not. I don't think most people who are deciding whether they want to watch a game or not are like looking at Kelly Oubre's plus minus. They see Steph Curry's name in the ad and are like, OK, I'm going to tune in for that. That's true. That's true. Um, what do you make of his game this year? Is there any chance of improving? Would you look to be moving Kelly Oubre for a different fit? Like, why do you think it's not working for him in Golden State? If you can get something for him, I just don't know what you're going to. I think I think you do try to move him just because that's the only way that I think they're going to be able to upgrade at all in the next couple of years. Just because everybody like if he he's making like what, 15 this year? Yeah, he's going to be a free agent. So if he walks, they have no way of replacing that cap, you know, figure. Can I tell you what you do? What? You call New Orleans like you see what it takes for J.J. Alonzo. Like that's that's what you do. I haven't they already talked about that? Yeah, that I mean that's what makes the most sense. Like that is what you do. It's one of those two. Whoever you can get I mean, of the two. I I think they have had those conversations and I actually the way that I heard it talked about was that New Orleans was actually the one that called them about it and the Warriors weren't interested. I don't know that's whether weird. that I don't know how long ago that was or what, but Yeah, how much he's that's, made fourteen. That's the way I understand that it happened. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's dumb. Golden State, Bob Myers, big fan of the Chase Downs podcast. Pick up the phone and talk because guess what? JJ making 13 on last year's deal. Lonzo making 11. Um, Kelly Bray making 14 last year. Like, this, just don't make it complicated. Just do a, a normal NBA trade for once. Just do a swap. I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, I I would I would guess that they do something, but I also just feel like like I I think this year their team just kind of is what it is, and I, I mean this is like the best case scenario of what they've gotten out of Andrew Wiggins. Like I I I was totally done with him, and he's actually been pretty good for stretches this year in Golden State. Uh, uh like. The, the 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 Wiseman thing, like he's you know he's injured, he's going to be out for a little bit, but you know, and he and he's kind of was up and down before, so it's 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 all just kind of like th- this is just a year where like you know you're happy if you make the playoffs, you have that Minnesota pick, like you're going to have a high pick either way, like you do. Try, I think you do try to do something with Ubre just because you're going to lose him for nothing if you you're going to lose that much, you're you're not going to be able to replace that cap number or like that cap figure if you don't trade him and maybe get somebody who's already under contract. Uh, but yeah, he has not been good. I I thought that would be a better fit, but I also, in retrospect, I'm wondering if maybe we should have, you know, cooled it off a little bit on talking about what a genius pickup that was by the Warriors. Yeah, it was a panic move of, at the time. It was just like Clay's out. We got to do something. Season's happening. We got to do something. Well, I was I was more thinking maybe we should have you know seen that coming when he missed the bubble and then the Suns went eight zero without him. Mm. If he's that essential. Like, why did they not get worse when he when he was out? Interesting. Distracted by his looks, potentially. That's what the streets are saying. That's what the streets are saying is, <laughs> is about him. Like, literally every time, like you bring up Kelly Oubre, like people, like you know, it, it, I, you know, I have, I have, I have, I have, I have like female friends who will all say that like Kelly Oubre is like the hottest NBA player. So like, <laughs> that's definitely a thing. It is a thing. It is a thing. Um, DeRozan and the Spurs. I've watched two Spurs games this year. Um, Dejounte Murray is a delight. Um, Kellen Johnson's really good for them now. Did not see that coming. Lonnie Walker's not developing all that well. Um, Derek White is solid when he's healthy. LaMarcus Aldridge is shooting threes. DeRozan shooting a little bit. But DeRozan's a passer now. Like, that's one of the weirder things. Like, DeRozan brings the ball up a lot still, but he's just a really good passer. He finds the right guy. He drives and kicks. He's averaging 6.7 assists and only 1.7 turnovers. It's one of the highest ratios in the league. Um I don't know. I really have enjoyed DeRozan, and I think he's actually like one of the few guys who, at the way he's playing now and the way he's evolved quietly, um, could swing a couple series um, for some teams. Like, do you have you changed your tune on uh, DeRozan at all a little bit, or do you have any uh, strong Spurs takes? I was never as down on DeRozan as other people were in the first place, but I actually wrote a couple of years ago when he first got to San Antonio about him evolving as a playmaker, and obviously it's kind of gone to a different level this year, but no, I'm, I am happy to see him kind of, you know, this second half of his career, he's kind of shed that reputation that he had before as like this inefficient gunner, and I, you know, I think he would be helpful for a lot of teams, but I also don't think the Spurs necessarily should move him i think well he's him and last LaMarcus... year. he's not resigning that's the reason it's like he's well, not right staying. okay okay but like like uh, again I, I this is going back to what i was saying before about how i don't think there's gonna like a lot of these maybe in a normal year you would think okay that you know these this guy they're, they're gonna lose him for nothing you know they, they need to do something but i just think because of the pandemic i just it's gonna be harder for teams to justify you know, making changes and shaking things up in the middle of the season, then you got to bring someone in and get them tested a couple of times before they can go in. And then they have to, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot less practice days to get somebody acclimated because, you know, the schedule is so compacted that like there's, there's just a whole lot of these other factors that are up in the air that you can't really talk about this stuff like you could in a normal season. Yeah. But if you're somebody like the Clippers and you're like, Pat Bev's not working, we can't find like the right kind of point guard, do we call the Spurs and be like, hey, DeRozan, you want to be a lead ball handler? And then you just close with DeRozan, Paul George, and Kawhi. And they don't have them. I don't think they have the money. Well, you can do, do, I was looking at that, you can do Lou Will, Pat Bev, and um, maybe even a Kennard in there and uh, do that. I don't know if San Antonio would do that. No, I don't know. I, gotta, I, I don't know who the right team is for DeRozan, but I do think there are options for him, and uh, I would like to see him moved. I, I just would like to selfishly see him on a container. Like, put him in Milwaukee. Like, I like Milwaukee probably can't do it either, but I wish I would really like to see him in a place like that. I would. I want to see DeRozan on a good contender with where he's at right now in his career because I don't know how much longer he's got of this. Um, well, a lot of those, a lot of those teams that 
are in that, you know, you know, that that tier that we're hoarding all their cap space for Giannis and are now not getting Giannis or Paul George or whoever else was supposed to be a free agent and wasn't are, you know, maybe like one of those teams. I, I think I think you just kind of ride out this season where 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 he, where he is unless, you know, a team blows them away with an offer, which I don't think I don't think I don't think they're going to get an offer for DeMar DeRozan before the deadline on an expiring deal that's so great that they have to just say yes instead of riding out what they have. So I think we're just going to see him go somewhere in free agency. Interesting. Um, since trading Harden, the Rockets have the number one defensive rating in basketball. Does that surprise you? That they have the number one defensive rating? Yeah. Yes. That they're a lot better? No. Mm. Just it's Steven so Silas is he a yeah. lock for coach of the year? Like I think this is I like think it's with, too early for anybody to be no a lock for the hard and stuff everything. No, give it to him now. Steven Silas is a saint and must be protected not a, at all costs. I'm not against it. I, I mean, I like him. I've only dealt with him a couple of times personally, but I, you know, I, I, I would be. I was. He was the guy that I felt the most bad for during the whole hard and. Oh song. yeah, hundred percent. Grinded for twenty years to become a head coach, and then the first thing he has to deal with is that whole situation. Uh. But yeah, he's he's been great, and you know Oladipo has fit in nice. Christian Wood is really good. Uh, Wall's been awesome since since he got healthy from the knee thing. Eric like, Gordon's I, playing out of his mind again. Yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I mean, good I'm I'm ha- I'm happy for, I'm happy for I'm happy for him that, you know, he got out of this, you know, the Harden situation and now he actually has a functional basketball team that's actually pretty good. I don't know if they're going to close the season with the number 1 defensive rating, but you know, good for them. Yeah, I mean, they quietly have a bunch of defenders. Like they have David Nwaba, they have Victor Oladipo, they have they have Christian Wood. They have guys all over the place that can defend. Jay Sean Tate, who tries really fucking hard. Um, I don't know. I really like their team. And I'm curious to see what they do with P.J. Tucker, who's also on an expiring contract. Um, Victor Oladipo, he'll walk. They'll ride that one out. But uh, Yeah, that was a, that was a Tillman Fertitta wants to save money on an expiring contract. Uh, yeah, he's riding that one out, I would say. Um, unless the Heat just give them all kinds of great stuff, which is unlikely. Um, I don't know how interested the Heat actually are in Oladipo. All well, doesn't he work out there? Him, he's like all a, of the, well, yes, all the leaks about him about the Heat as a destination. I think there's more interest from him in joining the Heat than there is from the Heat in getting him. Well, it seems like that's a, the sentiment across the league, right? Like, what did he say the other day? Or about like, no, they quit on me or blah, blah, they blah. quit on me. Which is the same thing as remember when oh, like yeah. when Kobe was like during doing his farewell tour and he was like basically like writing the whole like script for like how his career went and he was talking about how the Hornets didn't want him as if he didn't like say that if any team besides the Lakers drafted him he was going to go overseas. Yeah, you know I I read that whole story again because uh, did you ever read the Jonathan Abrams book? Um, uh, what is I'm blanking. Poison Among Men. Yeah. Yes. Years ago, years ago when it came out, I haven't read it recently. Well, he has like multiple chapters on that and how it all went yeah. down with Calipari and the Nets and Nash. Um, with the Nets and like Kobe's agent telling like we're not going there, and then the Nets being scared to not do it, but um, it was all a bluff. And then like the Hornets, like the Hornets stuff is awful because like Vlade Divac was like really upset about getting moved to Charlotte, and it, they were like, hey, it's it, we got we got to do it. Um, sorry, we love you, and he's like the nice guy, but like hey, it's it's Kobe and Shaq, we got to do this. Um, and yeah, no Charlotte was totally fine with taking Kobe. They just, uh, it was not a, they did not want him. It was a, hey, we well, want my Kobe, point is we that want Oladipo, my guy in uh, Los Angeles. Well, my point is that Oladipo apparently last year was yeah. openly asking players 100%. on other teams, hey, can I come play for your team? And then he opted out of the bubble and then opted in without kind of, kind of without telling anybody what he was going to do. And then he gets traded and then he comes out and says, my team quit on me. Didn't his sister get involved with something? Who, oh, there? Probably, I there I was there was that yeah, drama. There was some of that. I know Bradley Beal's sister is very online. <laughs> Never going to be very online, folks. I would highly discourage it. Um, when, especially when you're like the sibling of an NBA player who may or may not want out of their 
like Brad, like I remember, I just remember Bradley Beal's sister was like tweeting at Zach Lowe and like being mad at him for not putting Brad on his All NBA team a couple years ago. Mm, mm. Yeah, hope Zach Lowe learned his lesson. Um, the Mavs quickly, and as we wrap up here, they're hitting thirty two point eight percent of their threes this season. This is last in the NBA. Um, Seth Curry not being around matters, uh, but also Dorian Finney-Smith coming back is just he's not the same kind of guy. Um, they don't have a lot of shooting, not having Porzingis, and even when they do have Porzingis, he's Porzingis not has been well. terrible. Yeah, exactly. So when you look at it, and you're like, damn, they were the number one in offense last year. Now they're 19th as a whole. Um, when you watch the Mavs and you look at what's happening this season, how much do you think you can fix, and how much of this did you expect? I don't think this team's very good. And I mean, this the, the Seth. Yeah, I look think at the I, rotation. Like when people talk about these, like rough. I'm like, look at their rotation. What do you want them to do? What do you want like, Scott Luka, Brooks to do? Right. Like, you mean Rick Carlisle? Carlisle? No, no, no. I'm saying like the same situation in Washington, yeah. where I'm like seeing these rotations, and I'm like, what are you supposed to do with this? Yeah, they're not. I mean, everybody like Luca's awesome, but everybody else is just like yeah, Bradley Beal's awesome, like, and everybody else and sucks. even Luca has like. <laughs> I remember Luca. Like I know, going into the season, Luca was kind of the, you know, the, the 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 media favorite to win MVP this year, and he's been really good. But he has, you know, he hasn't become like, you know, he hasn't gone supernova the way I think a lot of people thought he were. I think he's, I think he's not better than he was last year, which is still really good. But like, it, it, I think I think a lot of the early projections for the Mavs were anticipating that Luca was going to go from being an MVP candidate, like a fringe, like third place or fourth place MVP candidate to being like the MVP front runner. And he hasn't quite made that leap. And then also his team is not very good. And Porzingis might just be done physically, man. I really hope he's not done. That is, mm. I mean, when you're that big and you've had that many knee surgeries, it's, it can get kind of dark pretty quickly. Yeah. I, agree. I mean, look at, look at, De- I mean, look at DeMarcus cousins. I know he's, you know, he's been okay this year, but like, he had a Achilles, a quad, and an ACL surgery on the same leg in 18 months. And, you know, it's just when you're that big, it's not. It's over. Yeah. It's sad. Um, Sean Hyken, what can we check out from you this week on the interwebs? Well, just check my stuff out at Bleacher Report. I have a few different things I'm working on that are in varying stages of completion. And other than that, you can just follow me on Twitter at Hyken. Go do that. Keep up the great work, my friend. It was great catching up with you tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Um, let's uh, let's talk again soon. Let's uh, don't be a stranger. Absolutely. All right, we're back on a Wednesday morning edition of the Chase Stones Podcast, and I am now joined by Mike Emmert, Mark. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Chase? I'm pretty good. How many times do you get mistaken for the NCAA <laughs> figure? <laughs> uh, on Twitter, frequently. Never in real life, of course. But yeah. uh, but I get a lot of uh, uh, what you would call mean tweets, especially if, uh, if something is going on in the world of college sports that a uh, particular fan base is not like. Mm. Um, they think that they should tell me about that. So um, I've learned to laugh about it. At first, it was kind of annoying and, and almost uh, startling to see uh, you know, some of the vitriol that came my way. I was like, oh my gosh, what's this? But then after a while I realized that they don't know any better. So I try to play along with it. I think they do know better. They're just lazy. You think so? just, I, I, <laughs> don't give them that. Uh, yeah. Don't give them the credit there. Um, and also yeah. just, those people... I just can't believe they think of the, that that Mark Emmer is actually on Twitter, like just sitting there on his own, like his name, <laughs> just waiting for them to, to call him out like what, what why would he do that uh, so i mean steve cohen, actually, though it was kind of funny we talked about it steve cohen the mets owner just on twitter talking about moves I, you never know man you never yeah, know i, you I know. guess yeah yeah it is kind of an uncommon name but uh man i can't wait for him to retire <laughs> well maybe sooner <laughs> rather than later um yeah right we have to start with Luke Garza. You cover Iowa basketball, Mark, and things are going really mm-hmm. well for them this year. Um, where I'm a student at the University of Tennessee, things are topsy-turvy, and uh, they went 12 minutes of <laughs> field goal last night. So that is the state oh, of wow. Tennessee basketball. Um, you don't have that problem with the team you're covering because your team is number one in offense per Kimpom. Um, is Luke Garza going to win National Player of the Year? I think so. I think you know, he was really close last year. I actually voted for him for the uh, for the Whitney 
um, over Obi Toppin. I know it was a close call, and he finished second. Uh, I just think, I mean, he's leading the nation in scoring, and he's playing in the Big Ten. Uh, so that tells you a lot. He was the toughest league in the country. Uh, he's just unstoppable. I mean, night in and night out. He had 27-12 and 12 last night. And, uh, you know, and they beat Michigan State. Um, yeah, he's he is pretty phenomenal. I, I mean, I know there's other really great players out there, um, but I just can't see anybody else overcoming him for player of the year. Yeah, there's no one who else who really stands out this year. Um, Baylor, it's like a hodgepodge. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga, it's a hodgepodge. It's not like any of the great teams have, like, one guy who's doing a bunch. Uh, it's not going to be Vescovi from Tennessee. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. Um, they are number <laughs> one in adjusted offense. Like I said with Kim Palm, what have you seen that makes this offense just so deadly this season? Yeah, I mean they've been they've been good for a long time. That's kind of a sign that can't at home, right? but uh, you know they saw obviously they got guys in the middle. Uh, he he can get his anytime he wants it. But they've got uh, three really good three point shooters around him uh, in Westcap, uh, Hong, and Frederick. Uh, typically, now they weren't last night, but. And then they've got uh, Connor McCaffrey. Connor McCaffrey's son is a really, really good facilitator. Um, leads the nation in assist turnover ratio. He does a good job of getting the ball where it needs to go. Um, and then they got uh, they got a really good bench. I mean, they got uh, two guys on the bench that have started games here in the past, in in Jack Nungy and, and Joe Toussaint. They've got some really good freshmen that are coming in and playing bigger roles now. And Keegan Murray in particular, but even last night we saw Tony Perkins come in. And really, really do a good job. So they, they've just got a, a deep team. They like to get out and run. I mean, offense is their hallmark. It's fun to watch uh, when they're when they're clicking that way. And and you just can't. I mean, you just can't focus on guards. Even last night, uh, you know, Michigan State did not double team him a lot. Um, they were trying to you know just throw different bodies at him, and, and they and he drew twelve fouls. <laughs> so basically, all their guys got in foul trouble. But they had he had four or five bodies. Izzo had four or five bodies that he wanted to use there. Try to like keep Garza, you know, occupied and, uh, you know, that didn't work either. So they're really, really difficult to stop. And especially, I think, once we get to the tournament, like teams that have not had a chance to play against them or scout them well, they're going to have a really tough time adjusting to Iowa's offense. That's never been the issue for Iowa, though. It's always been defense. It's a question mark there. Well, how do you feel about their defense this season? Is it good enough for them to really make a national title run? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, I, I, you like to think so because you see it. You know, actually, the team could get to the Final Four, but, uh, you know, they're still not good enough there. Uh, it would be historic if they made the Final Four with that defensive ranking in, in the Kempom era. Uh, right now, they're, they're 90th coming to last night's game. I have a look today. Uh, that's really, really uh, not good enough historically. You're uh, like Bizarro, Tennessee. Done. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, usually those teams that get to the Final Four, as you know, are, are pretty balanced. You know, really, really, you know, uh, top 10 offense, maybe top 20 defense at least. And uh, Iowa's just not that way. They never have been that way. And, and what happens with them is they struggle in pretty much uh, everywhere. I mean, they, they can play the zone, they play the man, and a bunch of teams will figure out either one, so they're going to keep kind of switching defenses back and forth. They don't have any elite, uh, really, one-on-one defenders. Uh, the best defensive players are the, on the bench, and that's what happened last night. I mean, they, uh, Michigan State was shooting 21% from three in its last three games. They came out and hit their first six against Iowa really, really weren't even contested out there. Um, and so Fran uh, McCaffrey went to his bench, uh, brought in some guys that actually wanted to come out and contest those three-pointers. His starters sat for most of that game last night. They went with his bench players just because they were better on defense. And that's why they won 84-78, but it was still a struggle, and it shouldn't have been. I mean, Michigan State was really, really a wounded team coming in here, not playing well at all. And uh, and Iowa kind of let them hang around well into the final seconds of the game. And, and then defense was the issue, I mean, especially right at the outset. I mean, they had 26 points in, after eight minutes of the game, Michigan State. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really, in a tournament setting, if you let some team get out of you like that. Yeah, we saw it a couple years ago Tennessee, actually. <laughs> yeah. Iowa, right? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, they, I would have mentioned to claw back and force overtime. It was great, a great comeback by them. But, you know, you just can't be falling behind like that in tournament games and expecting to survive every game because the competition gets harder and harder as you go farther into that tournament. So to win four straight games and get to the Final Four, uh, boy, they, they really, really better lock down that defensive end because uh, I just don't see that succeeding long-term. Who is a bigger matchup problem for them? Let's just say for, for the Iowa fans, you get to the Final Four and you're matched up with either Gonzaga or Baylor. Who would who do you think is the more complicated matchup for them? Well, we've seen Gonzaga against them. They didn't look good. That was up in the Sioux Falls, South Dakota in December. I covered that game and... Uh, Gonzaga kind of had their way with Iowa there, especially uh, Jalen Suggs. Really, really, they they really do. I say this when they lose games, it's typically because they can't handle the opposing point guard. I mean, it was Jalen Suggs that game 
Marcus Carr of Minnesota uh, in, in in that game. Uh, even Rob Finnessy kind of went off for him a little bit when they played Indiana. And then, uh, um, of course, um, oh, who am I blanking on? They just they just got beat by a really good point guard again um, in the next game. So, um, you know, oh, oh sorry, <laughs> Io DeSumo, of course, uh, Illinois. Just beat him eighty to seventy five. So that, that's kind really of the biggest hate struggle. On the I think they would take a today, Mark. Yeah. yeah, are you? No, you're really <laughs> hating on him. Just leaving him out. They're yeah. finally in the top ten, yeah. Ken Palm. They're yeah. finally breaking through, Mister Underwood's team, and just no respect from you, from the yeah, NCAA no, commissioner it's a today. Team actually, but I, I, um, I, I'm sorry, I, I do apologize to the Illini fans out there. But um, uh, so that's been their kind of their Achilles' heel, uh, really. Uh, for the last few years, they just don't, they're not really good at you know defending against penetration. And so um, I think they would take the chances to be able to because that's a team they haven't seen before. I mean, I mean, Gonzaga um, really, really uh, was by far superior to Iowa that game. And I think fans might think that Iowa has improved since then, and they probably have. But uh, you know, Jalen Suggs, uh, Corey Kispert, that would be boy, that's a tough matchup it is for anybody, but I think especially for Iowa. So. I would say uh, bring on Baylor and see if they can stop Garza. All right. There you go. Um, The biggest challenger, the best challenger remaining in the Big Ten, do you think it's Illinois or do you think it's Michigan? I think it's Michigan. Um, I've really been impressed by them. They are a really, really, I mean, the freshman center they have up there, of course, has really been a revelation. I think Juwan Hart has actually done a great job building that team. Um, Iowa plays there on March 4th. They only kind of meet this year. Uh, they, they play already done with Illinois. They don't play them again either, which is unfortunate. I think for Big Ten fans that those teams only play once. But I do think it's going to come down to uh, Iowa, Michigan, Illinois at the top, and I, I think I'm going to give the edge to Michigan right now. I think they're the better team. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the most under-talked about player on the Iowa Hawkeyes this year is who? Wow. Um, boy, that's a great question because they've all been kind of getting a lot of publicity here. I'm just wondering nationally who's... Uh, under the radar, probably Connor McCaffrey. Um, okay. I think that, uh, because he doesn't doesn't score a lot, and uh, and uh, last night he went over four from three, which is not his game. So was, it's probably a tough time to be talking about him. But uh, he really does. His versatility is just so important for this team, both on both ends of the court. He understands his dad's offense, as you might imagine, better than anybody. So he can play three different positions, and sometimes does in the same game. Uh, you know, he's moving around back there, plays the one, two, or the four, and. Um, he has really been, I think, an important part of um, making, making this all work. You know, he doesn't really need his points, uh, so he's fine with his, his role. Um, you know, Luca Garza said he's the best entry passer he's ever played with. So when uh, Connor missed some time with an injury earlier this year, um, you know, Luca suffered a little bit because his teammates aren't able to get him the ball where he needs it, when he needs it, as well as Connor McCaffrey can. So I think that he's really uh, kind of an underrated part of this offense. But he's also a guy that can defend multiple positions. Uh, and they can put him at the back end of the zone or at the front of the zone, and, and uh, he really just kind of moves him around where he needs him, you know, game to game. I think last year, the game Iowa won at Syracuse, and Connor McCaffrey might have been the most important part of that game just because he was able to kind of get himself in the middle of that, that Syracuse, that tough zone they play, and really get the ball to where it needed to get to. And I know Bohannon had the, you know, the points in that game, but uh, but Connor McCaffrey was probably the, most, the MVP of that game for Iowa. So there are times when he is actually the most important player for them. Well, there are times when he can take a back seat too, which I think he needs. I mean, you guy that's like really not that ego driven, and and uh, you know if he only plays fifteen, eighteen minutes a game, that's fine as well. Interesting. Um, what, in your estimation, makes this team special this year? I know you're not as in on them as a Final Four team, but like, what do you think is in working in their favor that makes them different this year? Well, I think it's really. Um, the experience, for one thing, I mean, they had three guys that came back really just to chase this national championship or a Big Ten championship at least, and that's uh, you know Garza, Wieskamp, and Bohan, and all those guys could have gone somewhere uh, after last year. I mean, obviously the COVID thing impacted the situation. There may not have been as many opportunities, but uh, you know Garza flirted with the NBA. Wieskamp did two years ago. Uh, Bohan is a fifth-year senior coming off two hip surgeries. They all came back here with one specific purpose in mind. They're highly motivated, um, really, really a mentally strong group of young men. Uh, I think that's going to be a big advantage for them going forward too. There's just not that many teams in college basketball that, you know, that average, you know, 22, 23 year old, you know, starters. I mean, I guess Wisconsin would be the, would be the other one. And uh, I think that really is working in their favor. I mean, they they really have a singular purpose here. Uh, they understand what it is. You know, Garza said last night after the game, he said, "I didn't come back to score points. I came back to win games." 
And I thought that was really uh, a telling comment by him because he went over the 2,000-point mark for his career last night. Only two Hawkeyes have ever done that, he, he and Roy Marble. So he's going to be the all-time leading scorer here before he leaves. But he came back not for that reason, but he wants to, to win a championship. And he thinks they're good enough. And so if they do get there, it'll be because of his will. Honestly, he's just really a, really a special uh, young athlete. I don't think I've seen anybody quite like him before his maturity and his leadership. Um, I just think it's kind of off the charts. So he, he might carry this team a long way. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Um, the biggest surprise this season has been what for you covering this team? Well, Keegan Murray, the true freshman, we didn't really know what to expect from any of the freshmen. He's got five freshmen on his team, um, and as he was coming in, he didn't really need to play any of them. He's got a top eight beyond them that uh, was very experienced, as I said. Um, and so we didn't know how far he had to dip into his bench, but Keegan Murray has really been uh, hes just been too good to not play. I mean, he actually got a start here two games ago when C.J. Frederick was out. And so he's been a really, uh, you know, a really great defensive player. Honestly, I mean, uh, he's pleased the team and uh, yeah, in block shots and steals, or he's in the top two in both those categories. And even though he's a bench player, six eight kid, he's got a twin brother Chris that plays here. His dad Kenyon played here, so he's a legacy guy. But um, he was not really highly uh, recruited. But uh, he's come in here and actually shown that he's probably one of the top, you know, seven eight players in this team. And that's saying a lot. So he's been, he's given them a lot off the bench this year. And, uh, you know, honestly, that game at Rutgers, they don't win that game without Keegan Murray. I mean, he was so big down the stretch with those two big free throws, of course, to seal it. Um, yeah, he's been a really, really a revelation for a lot of people. And the Iowa fans already love him. He's like a fan favorite here already and probably will be for years to come. All right, Mark, what can we check out from you this week in the Des Moines Register? Well, that's a three-game week for the Hawkeyes. So uh, they, they beat Michigan State last night. That's that's the this goes on the line. Um, and they play Ohio State here tomorrow night. Big game, number seven versus number eight. And then they go to Indiana on Super Bowl Sunday um, to play the Hoosiers and try to get you know, a little payback there. That was a game they should not have lost at home. So I, I'm going to have a big uh, Luca Garza story in the Sunday paper. I actually have a talk to Luca after I talk to you just about his growth, as I mentioned, as a leader, like what, what his influences have been, uh, how he's kind of molded himself as a guy that's like uh, controlling that locker room. Had a really, really interesting, uh, I know, in encounter with, with uh, Nick Saban as a, as a recruit when he was being recruited hmm. by Alabama. So I'm definitely going to ask him about that. I got a picture from his dad with uh, him and Nick Saban in Nick Saban's office. It's kind of funny because uh, Nick Saban looks really, really short in that picture. So oh. just kind of who, you know, who has impacted him as a, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, as a leader. And, uh, and uh, I think it's going to be kind of revelatory as well. I hope it is at least. So people are going to check that out. Uh, I'll probably have that online on Friday. All right, go do that. Keep up the great work, my friend, and uh, we'll check it back in again soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Chase. Appreciate your time. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.